Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Randy's like 12 months pregnant. And uh, just, just so awesome. She's always got so much joy, and I love being around her. And Ben, Ben has been a friend and co-worker in Christ for as long as I can remember. I mean, uh, literally, so 13, 14 years. We've known each other, walked together. And um, I'm so grateful for his leadership here at Luminous. What you guys are doing is awesome. You guys are changing San Antonio. Do you know that? Yeah. God's going to use you to transform this culture. God's going to use you. Uh, in such an incredible way. And I've, I've prayed for you and been involved serving on the board. I'm proud to say what you guys are doing in just a year and a half. This church is a year and a half old. Maybe you're new here. You need to know it's healthy, it's strong, it's growing. That's exciting. And um, uh, God has a long road in front of it. You guys are going to do amazing things. And I, I'm glad to be a little bit a part of it uh, and serve with you guys. Well, I want to bring it. My home church is Mid City Church in Midland, Texas. And man, God's doing some great things there. We're a part of a larger network of churches called Every Nation Ministries. And so we have churches all over Texas and then throughout North America, but really globally. God's doing some amazing things. Matter of fact, this summer or this October, which is summer in South Africa, we're going to have our first our world conference in Cape Town, South Africa. And I'm going to be jo- we're going to be joining with with uh, churches from all over the world, throughout Asia and Africa that are lifting up the name of Jesus Christ, that are planting churches, that are reaching the campus like Austin is. Where's Austin? Where are you at? Austin, Elisa. Where are you? Where's Elisa at? Let's give your campus missionaries a big hand. These guys reaching out to UTSA. Man, that's one of our visions as a, as a church planting movement. We want to plant churches. We want to reach the campus with the gospel. Uh, and uh, we really want to do world missions, which is Baja. You guys are doing that. That's so awesome. So, man, that's happening all over the world. You're part of something bigger. Uh, and I'm grateful to be a, a sister church with you guys in, in advancing the kingdom of God. And so uh, just proud of you and what all God's doing here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Genesis 2 uh, or, you know, turn them on to Genesis 2, whatever kind of Bible you got. Uh, Genesis 2, and then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6 here in a moment. And I'm going to, we actually got quite a bit of scripture today because I want to talk about sex. Now, here's what I know. I know that Ben promised last week that I was a sex expert. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's true? He promised that, and I don't know if that's true. I asked my wife, am I a sex expert? And she said, I'm going to not say a thing. All right, so I'm, my wife Kayla's right over here. We have four kids that are with us today, um, and we're, we're so excited. To be, but I, I, I don't know that I'm a sex expert, but here's what I do know. I do know that the Bible has quite a bit to say about this issue. And so we're going to dive in and find out what the Bible has to say about it. Now, the title of this message is, it's good sex, because we're in a It's Good series, right? We're talking about love, and sex is definitely a part of that conversation. So I want to talk about that. As Pastor Ben mentioned last week, um, Genesis 1 tells us that God created men and women. Uh, he created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and that as he created them in his likeness, in his image, he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You get the idea what that means. Right. All right. So 
And, he, and then he says, and it's good. Everything he created was good, right? It's really, really good. And so that's, a, that's an important thing to recognize. Now, in Genesis 2, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the very first book of the Bible. You may not be familiar with the Bible. Let me explain this. Genesis 1 Genesis 2 are kind of the same story in a different way. Uh, it's the, the, the account of creation, but it's told in kind of two different ways. And Genesis 2 tells the story a little different than what Pastor Ben read in Genesis 1 last week. So let's look at that. Genesis 2, starting verse 18, is the, is the, the, uh, the first interaction between Adam and Eve. Here we go. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of heaven, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature and what it was its name, the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. For, about, for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs, clothes in his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. And the man said this. This is his first reaction when he saw the woman. This is the, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore, a man, this is an important verse because Jesus quotes this first verse when asked about marriage, when asked about divorce, when asked about men and women. All right, here's what he says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become what? One flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Every man's favorite verse in the Bible. All right, now, they were naked and they weren't ashamed. What does that mean? Does it mean their differences, uh, their differences in how they were made anatomically, they, weren't, they didn't recognize that. There was no shame. There was no guilt. They were, they were naked and they had no shame about their nakedness. And, and so even in their sexuality, there was a goodness about it. There was a, there was, God had created all these things in the garden and it was good. And yet, so what we see here is in the beginning, when God created mankind, sex is good. Everyone say that with me. Sex is good. All right. So I think this is going to be helpful. Some of you are single and you're like, uh, this is awkward right now. But let me tell you, very possibly in the future, you will need to know some of this, all right? Um, and some of you that are married and you've been walking or been married and you've, you've, you've lived life, I think this is going to be helpful for all of us no matter where you're at. So uh, pay attention to this. So sex is good, but somewhere along the way, sex began to change and it began to be kind of bad. You know what I'm talking about? Like kind of uh, all of a sudden, uh, I remember growing up, my mom and dad didn't like talking about sex much. Maybe yours did, and so that's weird. But mine, mine didn't like talking about sex. Sex was kind of like not talked about a ton. It's kind of secretive. The church didn't talk about sex unless it was like red face, like they're blaring at your face about it. Like there was like no, you don't talk about sex. Sex is kind of secretive. It's kind of mysterious. It's kind of you know we don't we're not going to deal with it. We're not going to talk about it. And I remember, it's uh, true to more so today, but even as a kid when I first started recognizing sex saturated our culture. I mean, you watch movies and it's in there and it's in song lyrics and it's everywhere around us in our culture. Uh, and it's, uh, some of it was mysterious and exciting and wonderful and yet some of it was becoming a little perverted and some of it was uh, uh, not supposed to be really talked about or addressed. And 
some of it shouldn't have been talked about and was talked about, and it's just absolutely everywhere I go. And today, as a pastor um, who's been a senior pastor for 10 years and in ministry for almost 15 years now, I, I visit with a lot of people, and one of the things that I talk to people about is how they're addicted to pornography. Now, porn is an absolute pandemic. It, I mean, absolutely throughout men and now women as well, going younger and younger with the access to technology. But we, I, I talk to people who, who, who have had affairs, and while people would say, hey, sex doesn't hurt anybody, it's my own decision, man, there's some of that that affects and blows up entire families. And you know, you know this, you know some people, that the one sexual act has blown up an entire family, has torn apart generations, has torn apart moms and dads and husbands and wives, and, and just one little choice, one indiscretion. And I'm telling you, I, I mean, the, just the roadside is littered. On the way down here from Midland, we noticed some crazy amount of dead animals on the side of the road. You ever see that when you're driving? Like there's a deer, and there's an axis deer, and there was a, there was a mountain lion on the side of the road. I, I think mountain lions would be quick enough to dodge a car. Apparently not. There they are on the side of the road, skunks. You name it. I mean, we saw a little dog. It's like, oh, this is so sad. But let me tell you, you drive through life and you see people just absolutely laid out because of sexual issues. That's exactly what it's like. And so this is why it's important for all of us to understand what does the Bible say about it? How did sex get from good to bad? In the garden, it was really good. But now all of a sudden we see it. We hear some of the lyrics and songs and we see it on the on the radio, and we, we know that it's saturated, we know there's porn, not porn, and we know there's all this stuff going on. Well, how did it go from good to bad? The answer is found in Genesis 3. If you ever bought just kind of move over to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we see the fall. Adam and Eve, the first sin that enters the world, Genesis chapter 3, starting verse 7, gives us the answer. Here we go. Then the eyes of both were opened after they sinned. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It says, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So get the picture here. The idea is they, they weren't just covering their knees. They weren't covering their elbows. Oh, I'm going to make sure this is covered. They weren't covering their face. Like, oh. What were they covering? Loincloths. They were covering their private parts. They were covering their differences. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden. Cool today. And the man and his wife themselves hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So here's what happens when disobedience enters the world, when sin enters the world, Adam and Eve run from God's presence. Here's the first thing we learn. Number one, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. And this was true in the garden, it's still true today. Not only does it separate us from God, but mankind hasn't stopped running from God's sin. Mankind, I mean, once this happened, they hid themselves from God. They went and hide away. How many know it's pretty foolish to hide from God? Kind of like, I got a four-year-old, and we play hide-and-seek, and she's like, I'm it. So I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, and she'll like go, and she'll like hide behind this. <laughs> right? That's not a good hiding spot, you know? Like, and I kind of have to play along so that the game lasts longer than two seconds. I go, where's Anna? Where's Anna, right? This is kind of what it was like in the garden. They're hiding behind a tree from God. That doesn't work. 
What are you hiding behind? Are you hiding in work? Hiding in a relationship? Where are you hiding things God doesn't know, God doesn't see? And God knows all and he sees all. But when sin entered the world originally, it separated mankind from God and it hasn't stopped. Now, secondly, we notice, but that's not the, that's typically, if you read the story, you kind of figure out that that's, okay, I get that, I've heard that. But here's something new, maybe for some of you, is they weren't just hiding from God, they were hiding from one another. They used to be naked and unashamed. Now they cover their differences. They cover their sexual differences. And they look at one another and they, they sew fig leaves together. They cover themselves. They're not just separated from God anymore. They're separated from one another. Sin doesn't just separate you from God. It separates you from those you care most about. Those that you love. Those that you pledged yourself to. Those that you said you would never separate yourself from. When sin enters the picture, it separates us from those that we care about. Separates us from our spouse. The, the effects of the fall, the effects of sin are far more reaching than we may imagine. It affects even into sexuality and our differences. We see here sexuality was affected by the fall. This was where we all sin began, including all sexual sin. As you read the biblical account, which I love the Bible, because by the way, the Bible isn't a, just a book about like um, people who did it perfect. It's about a bunch of people who messed up and screwed up royally. You know, that's what I love about it. Some people think the Bible's all perfect people. It's not. Matter of fact, after this moment, we see people in multiple marriages. We see affairs. We see people having sex that shouldn't have incest. We have, see incest. We see some crazy stuff. And I'm just talking about the sexual stuff. We, 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 see, we see all kinds of sexual confusion. This here, the Genesis, what I'm telling you, this story we just read, is the genesis of sexual sin. It, it comes right out of the garden. And even if you're unmarried, I think it's important. Sin can be separating you from your future spouse. Some of you guys are like, I'm not married, so this doesn't really have anything to do with me. It absolutely does. The more you pour yourself into sin, the more you what God calls sexual sin, the more, the more separated you become from who you may even future be in a covenant relationship with. This is important. This is important. These are, these, this is a truth that we need to, to begin to understand. So, so here's how it works. Let me explain something. God created, how, how does it go from good to bad? We have sex was good, right? And then we have, we have sin entering the world, and out of that comes all sexual sin. And here's what you know how the world works. This, this doesn't have to do with sex. It has to do with anything in life. God creates, Satan perverts and twists. Satan's never created a thing. He, he's not a creator. He's not creative. All creativity comes from God. So God is a creator. He created us, right? So he creates us, and then the enemy, all he does is he takes what God's created and he just turns it a little bit. He twists it. He, he just changes. He puts a little taint on it. He, he makes it go this direction instead of this direction. And, and as, if he just does it long enough and it goes in that direction, man, you're far away from what the creator intended it to be. This is how it happens with sex too. God's created it, it's good, but Satan begins to twist 
and turn and lie. And he makes it shameful and prideful and creepy and enticing, depending on the situation. And it happens because of sin in the world. So here's the question. Okay, Daniel, that sounds really bleak and I'm depressed now. Thanks for Luminous Church's message today, right? What do I do with it? How do we recover sex? How do we recover what God intended for his creation. That's what I want to spend most of my time on today. See, various moments in scripture give us clues and cues about how to recover sex. How do we recover it? Song of Solomon is a book that largely has to do with romance and sex, sex in, in the context of marriage. I mean, that is an entire book. There's been times in history, it's been outlawed from libraries, from young people reading it because it's so explicit. Some of you are like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, read it, check it out. There's other places you're going to find in Scripture where God begins to define and redefine and explain how you can begin to recover sex. Now, Paul does this in 1 Corinthians. So turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians 6. One of these instances, and that's what I want to focus on today, is Paul recovers. He's dealing with a church at Corinth. Corinth is a place in what is modern-day Athens, right? So we have Corinth is a place that that there was this church at. And these guys were a bunch of Roman, Greek, Gentiles. I mean, that's who they thought. Matter of fact, in the city of Corinth, there was a temple to Aphrodite. You've probably heard of Aphrodite, right? This, she's the goddess of sex, basically, fertility goddess. So this Aphrodite, there was a thousand temple prostitutes that you could go hook up with, and it was a form of worship to hook up with these guys. So this is, this is like a serious sexualized city. And Paul starts a church right in the middle of that. And it's called the church at Corinth. And so first and second Corinthians is written as letters to this church where all this sexuality is going on. Now, here's what's important to know. The Jews in the day understood, they had been kind of walking with God, God had given them the law. They understood some of God's standards about sex. But you have to understand, if you live in a Gentile culture, where in in your city, there's like temple worship. If you were a good worshiper, you got to go visit the temple and check out the temple prostitutes. And that was a form of worship. And so what was bad was called good. See what the enemy's doing? What God created something good. The enemy turns it and twists it, takes something that is really good, makes it bad, then makes people do it and calls it good. Mm -hmm. Blow your mind. So this is what was going on in Corinth. So as you can imagine, Paul goes, shares the gospel of Jesus. Here's what Jesus offers. Here's who he is. Here's what he's going to do. And all the Corinthians come and they come with their stuff. They come with their junk because that's the way we come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we come with all our junk. I don't know about you, but when I came to Jesus, he didn't say, hey, Daniel, get all your stuff figured out, all your junk figured out, dump it all, get cleaned up, and then come to me. No, no, that's not how Jesus works. He says, come as you are. And as you come to Jesus, he begins to deal with you about things. Now, let me just tell you, some of you, he's going to deal about sex today. You've come to Jesus, but that area of your life hasn't been submitted to him. And today is the day he wants to deal with that in your life. It doesn't mean he hates you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means he cares so much about you that he's called you to himself. And today he's going to work on this area in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly true of the Corinthians. The Corinthians, they came messed up. I mean, can you imagine like... You start a worship service, and they're like, hey, where's the temple prostitutes? 
here at Luminous Church. Like, I'm ready to worship. <laughs> right? I'm ready. Let's get it on. Marvin Gaye's going, let's get it on. Ben's yeah. like, no, no. That's what the Corinthian church was like. People were like, man, this gospel sounds great. Awesome. Where do we exercise our worship? Like, this. listen, God has a different way. We've got to recover what he has for us. And this is some of the issues that we're dealing with. So we discover in this passage, we're going to start 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Look at your Bibles there. If you don't have them, look at the screen. It's massive. You won't miss it. Um, four <laughs> truths about sex that we recover here in Corinthians. Okay? Four, four truths. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, sexual immorality, it, sexual immorality is not compatible with the body. This is what we discover here in this passage. Now let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 6, starting verse 19. Paul says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will, be not, I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now remember, who created the body? Go back to Genesis, right? God created our bodies. There is a Gnosticism, there's a secret that anything of the body, anything of the flesh is bad. Let me just say that ain't biblical. God created our bodies. Our bodies are wonderful. Our bodies are made in his likeness. They're made in his image, and they're made good. And this is what it says. The Lord, God, uh, the Lord is for the body and the body for the Lord. Verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Speaking of Jesus. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you, can you imagine if you're, if you're in Corinth and you hear that, you go, whoa, what? Right? This is new news for you. Verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Lights are going off in Corinth. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual morality. That word, sexual morality, the original is porneia, where we get pornography, porneia. So flee porneia. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So they understand temple. Temple's where you go and you worship through having sex with prostitutes. But he says, no, 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 no. The your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, where God's presence dwells. For whom you have from God, you are not your own, it says. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with what? Oh, like you're here today. Glorify God with what? Your body, your body right? Glorify God with your body. Your body was not meant for sexual immorality. This is what we find out in this passage. Your, your body is God. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, and your body is now the place where his spirit dwells. It's not some temple. It's not some tabernacle. It's not in the church. It's not in the movie theater. God's presence is in you. And your body is where his presence dwells. And your body matters, God is saying. This is what Paul's saying through. To, your body absolutely matters. Your body will be raised up. Matter of fact, they're just like Jesus raised from the dead, there's going to be a day, Scripture says, where all who are dead will rise again. Because when Jesus comes again, there's, everyone's going to rise up. Our bodies really matter. 
Sex bonds two people together. Here's something we learned about in this passage. Sex bonds two people together physically. And so if it bonds you together, makes you one flesh, why would you want to be one flesh with a prostitute? Why would you want to, would, why would you want to pervert what God has? This, this is made for something different. Sexual immorality is against your body. This, this whole idea, and on a practical level, I'm not just talking spiritually, I'm talking very practically. Sexual immorality is a sin against your body. I'm not railing against it, I'm just saying what the Bible says. Here's what I know to be true. Pornography can destroy marriage. It'll destroy your body. Uh, 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 adultery. Having multiple partners pursuing sex at all costs before you are in a covenant marriage can absolutely affect your body. Disease, sickness, memories, the things that you'd like to get rid of, you can't get rid of, and there's something you really care about that God's calling you. Let me just tell you, it affects your body. It's not just a sin. That, okay, can God forgive it? Absolutely can forgive. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Is it unforgivable? No, it's not unforgivable. But there's consequences for everything we do. Listen, if I go out today and I take all of my savings and I go spend it because I just want to. You know, I like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, go gamble a little bit. I'm going to buy some stuff. And then two days later, I realized it's, it was wrong. I'm going to go to Kayla, and Kayla may or may not forgive me for spending all our money, right? But let's say she absolutely forgives me because she loves me. Does her forgiveness bring all my money back? Mm-hmm. Huh? No. No, it's, it's wonderful that she forgives me, and I'm grateful we still have a marriage, and we'll start reattaining that wealth. But the decisions I made, I'm going to have to live with the consequences. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't help you with those. It doesn't mean that God doesn't heal you from those. He absolutely does. So the analogy breaks down a little bit as you go. But the concept is the same. Some of you think, well, God will just forgive me, and that's great. But what effects would it have on your life? So sin, sexual immorality, pornea, that word, is against the body. Here's the second thing we learned. If you're taking notes, second thing we learned from this. Sex is designed for marriage. All right? So, let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 2. Just a couple verses down the road here. It says, Now concerning the matters of which I wrote to you, is about what you wrote. So here Paul is responding to questions they had. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And all the men said, "Uh uh-oh. Verse 2, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Ooh. Right? Okay, now listen. It, 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 this is an important analogy. When talking about sex and answering a question about it, he says, listen, sex is in the confines of not just um, two people that like each other, two people that think each other's great, two people that um, enjoy it, but two people, husband and wife, coming together in a covenant. That's what marriage is. Sex is for that. That's the context in which sex should be enjoyed. Uh, one man and one woman coming together, uh, uh, literally, to, to join together in covenant marriage. This is a wonderful and beautiful thing. Now, here's what, what he is saying. Some of you guys, man, that's first thing. Sexual morality is all about what not to do. But here is defined what you can do, what is good. He said, I created it, and I'm doing it in this way. Here's, here's the deal. It's like God is saying, God is saying, I've got... The most amazing thing for you. It's 
good and it's healthy and it's it's wonderful and it nourishes you and you're going to enjoy it too and it is awesome. You're you're going to want to have this and this is the right place for this. Come and eat and you can eat in this in this the confines of this explanation a covenant marriage between a man and a woman and man you eat that it's so good he says but the first thing he says sexual immorality is not but sexual immorality is like some of this stuff they're kind of snacking around you ever snacked before dinner you're liars no you got to um i mean it's good, right? It's like, good, but how many of them, this is not nutritious. <laughs> There's sugar here. What is a Funyun? Nobody knows. <laughs> nobody, nobody knows. J-Tom, this is not a real onion, is it? I mean, no, 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 no. This is a puffed piece of whatever, all right? It has no trans fat, but, um, and I'm sure it's gluten-free, but let me, let me just say, this has no nutritional value, this Funyun. And here's the deal. If we go around snacking, yeah. and we get to the meal, I'm not really that hungry. Mm -hmm. I think I'll have some porn. I think I'll, I know God has something for me that's nutritious and amazing down the line, but I'm going to just snack on these things that'll get me fat and get me diabetes and affect my body instead of waiting for something amazing. God has for me. Yeah. Sex is good. And let me just tell you, God created it. Isn't that a weird thought? God's up in heaven creating sex. <laughs> You're embarrassed. Look at me. Don't look at your neighbor right now. Right here. <laughs> I'm just talking to you for real. God put that there and that there. And he thought, this is good. <laughs> Some of you think that man created it. No, God came up with that. And you're just like, God, you're so cool. I knew you were cool, man. Right? God came up with it. He created it. He created it and he knows how it's supposed to be used. And he knows what'll make it work right. And he knows that if it's used in a wrong way, it can break and hurt and affect people. Mm -hmm. So God here isn't just, he's not saying everything you can't do. He's saying, this is what I designed you for. This is what, how you recover that it's good. It's, it's in the context of marriage. Third, sex is about giving, not taking. Say give. Give. It's about giving, not taking. Look at 1 Corinthians 7.3. We're still in that same passage, right? He's still talking about this. Look at this. The husband should give. Everyone say give. Give. Give to his wife her conjugal rights. Hmm. Conjugal, you get the idea. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. This is scary. Are you getting all weird and fundamental on us? Verse 5. Do not deprive one another, except for half, perhaps for agreement for a limited time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is important. Um, 
Some of you hear that, you just automatically, there's some, something that doesn't like that. In this individualistic society in America where it's all about the individual, it's all about the person and our rights, the idea that in a marriage context, you don't have authority over your own body, but your spouse does. And there's something that rises up against us. The right, it rises up in us against that. It says, no, 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 I'm my own person. I get to do what I want to do. And if I don't want to, then we're not going to. But here's what he says. Because the context of this is sex. The context of this is in a marriage relationship and sex. He says, do not withhold from one another. Because you don't have authority. The appeal isn't be nice to them. The appeal is you don't have a right. Now, we live in a culture that loves rights. And we all think we got a right. But Paul's saying here, no, you really don't. If you're in a covenant relationship, how God created it, a covenant marriage relationship, a man and a woman, then you do Now, we've heard this before, but it's in a, it's in a, um, it's been in a domineering, man-centered way from decades ago, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The man looking at the woman like, yeah, you're, the Bible says, <laughs> you're mine. Yeah, I got authority. Here's what's important. Here's what's important. The revolutionary idea was here was not what, that the man had authority over the woman. That wasn't revolutionary. Matter of fact, in the first century, this would just be taken. Oh, yeah, of course, women, in some sense, were property. In Judaism, matter of fact, they had more rights than most most of the most of the world, most of the empires. I mean, women were just—I mean, almost—they uh, were higher than slaves, but they were just kind of in the way people viewed them in a class system. But here's what was amazing about what he said: He said, "Men, you don't have authority over your bodies either." Now, what that means is, is that <clears throat> just because you have every Maybe that she's not to respond to every one of your whims, every one of your desires. You are submitted to her authority because your body is hers as much as yours is his. This was a huge, this blue, I'm telling you people read this, their minds like, what? This was the first time in recorded history that men were told your bodies aren't yours, they belong to your spouse. And I think this is significant for us because marriage, in the context of the sexual relationship in a marriage, it's about giving, it's not about taking. It's about understanding that I'm submitting to you, I, you're submitting to me. And it's important to understand that in the context of this, that we're still called to be followers of Jesus, exercising everything else that Scripture calls us to. Submit to one another, love one another, be patient with one another. It, it, like, it's not just in a vacuum talking about sex. It's in the context of us following Jesus. And I think this is, this is important, uh, especially in that culture, because there would be men that wouldn't want to give women children. But children were the 401k of the first century. A woman that couldn't have kids couldn't take care of herself in her old age. Her kids were the ones who took care of her. So if a guy just wanted sexual pleasure with her but didn't want to give her children, 
This is one of the other reasons. He says, no, 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 that's not okay. You're to give her what's rightfully hers as well. Sex is about giving. It's not just about taking. And we live in a culture it's all about taking. What do I want? What's my desire? What's my fantasy? What is, what is my... No, no, no. If you understand that it's sex about, what do you want? What can I do for you? How can I serve you and honor you? Because my body is not my own. It's yours. Third, or fourth and final one. Here we go. Finish up. Fourth, sex is not for the single. Oh, we got some single folks up in here. Ah, ah, ooh, ooh. No one's going to admit it like that. <laughs> Let me, let's look at this. This, this. Actually, there's a lot to say, and I don't have a lot of time to say this, so I'm, I'm going to have to allude to it, and you're going to have to go check it out on your own. So 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9 says this. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, Paul says, I wish that you all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one, uh, one of one kind and one of another, to the unmarried. Now, what Paul's referring to is he's single and he's celibate. This is what Paul's referring to. I wish some of you had my gift. Wish some of you, you know, celibate. I hope wish that upon you. Listen to this. To the unmarried, verse nine, eight. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, verse nine. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. It's like if you can't, if you don't have self-control, if you can't put it together, you need to get married, and you need to have what I've created in the what God's created in the context and confines of that. Don't go snacking around because this is what the enemy wants you to do. And so he says, but for the but but for the single, for those that are single, you need to consider some things. Matter of fact, it, it goes on to explain. I encourage you to read rest of 1 Corinthians 7. The rest of 1 Corinthians 7 goes on and says. Let me just give you a little preview. You can check it out. Yet those who marry, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of this. Come on, anybody that's married has some troubles up in marriage. Come on, <laughs> Deb, Russ, come on. You know it's true. Marriage brings with it some troubles. Can I get an amen from the married couple? There's so hey, listen. It's just true. You're two of you. You got to sleep in the same bed. You got to make decisions together. Russ and I were talking right before this. He's like, he got married at 35, right? When you guys get married. And you're like, man, I used to have all this time to myself. And then I got married, right? And that's true. Trump, marriage is so amazing. But it also brings complications. It brings issues. It, I mean, it brings other things. And Paul said, I would spare you of this. Verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. He goes on to talk about the, the importance of what's going on there in the culture. Skip down to verse 32 in chapter 7. Read this on your own. It says, but I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And the interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me just tell you, if you are single today, you have the most amazing opportunity to develop an undivided devotion to the Lord and not be com not complicated with the things that come in a marriage. And marriage is awesome, and it's for you. And Paul already said it. If you're going to burn with passion, go get married, do that, absolutely. But it's clear 
there aren't singles that can be more effective. Now, here's what the church hasn't done a good job of. The church as a whole hasn't done a good job of saying, you know what? Singleness is beautiful. And singleness is valuable. And singleness can be a gift from God. Matter of fact, some people are not incredibly sexual. And some people, um, they, they don't have this huge desire to go get married. And, but you feel this pressure from our culture that everybody's got to have somebody. And even from the church. We can do it in series even like this. Like, it's always like we're talking about love and romance. And you feel like you've got to find something. Let me just tell you, you need to allow the possibility that like Paul, you may be one that God says, I want you to advance my kingdom. I want you to do amazing things for me. And man, it may not include marriage. And it may, if it doesn't include marriage, let me just say, it means it doesn't include sex. And you know what? Some of you are going to go, that's okay. It's not for everyone, but I'm just telling you, Paul puts it out as a really clear option but this is a, and some people, the church hasn't done a good job because here's the deal. We think, well, if I don't have these strong feelings or emotions to have sex, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Am I gay? Am I this? Am I that? Am I asexual? I read an article the other day. Someone just discovered they were asexual. I, don't, I didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. What, what does this mean? Does a lack of feelings mean I'm defined by that? Absolutely not. Maybe, just maybe, God has a purpose for your life to advance his kingdom and do some things that you wouldn't be able to do if you were locked into a relationship and a marriage and having to provide for all those things. It's a wonderful thing to do, and God honors it. But let me just tell you, it's not for everybody. But here's what it does mean. If God's called you to that, he's also called you to celibacy. He's called you to a life of honoring him with your body. Now, here's how I want to close today. I'm going to get Tyler to come up Kind of help me out a little bit as we close this thing out. Um, clearly, in today's culture, sex is um, one of those things that has departed. Um, how do we get it back? What is the answer? How do we how do we recover this? Community? I think we begin by acknowledging the gospel. <coughs> of Jesus Christ is the answer. And here's the answer. It's, it's in the gospel. God became man in Jesus Christ. And he lived a life I should have lived. A perfect life. He never looked at porn. He never had a sexual indiscretion. He never had an affair. He never slept around with guys who said I love you. He never slept around with girls who feigned the words that one day they might say, I love you. He never compromised in his body. Jesus lived the life I should have lived. But then he died a death I should have died. He lived this perfect life, and yet he died on a cross as a sinner, as a, as a thief. And yet I was the sinner. I was the one who screwed up. I'm the ones who, one who's made mistakes. I'm the one who's sinned against my own body. should be me who died that death, but Jesus died it in my place. That's the gospel. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving himself to be the Son of God. And 
and offering forgiveness and eternal life for all who would believe in him. Now, this is good news for us because it means that no matter what you've done, there's forgiveness in Jesus. There's absolutely forgiveness. What you don't need to want leave here today no, feeling beat up because of indiscretion, beat up because of your past. Here's what you need to know. Jesus loves you and he died for you. Romans says, while you were still in sin, when you were in the middle of the muck, in the middle of the pit, doing what he says not to do, Jesus still knew that and he died for you because he loves you. That's good news. This isn't another sermon about beating people over the head, about what to think and believe, uh, or what the, that you're wrong or bad. Here's what it is. It's, it's an elevation that Jesus forgives. But he not only forgives, he has a better way. Because he created you, and he knows what you are made for. And he knows what you were designed for. And he wants to put you and me in a place that experiences his grace, his love, his mercy. Let me just, let me just say, he, he is a God who forgives and brings life. He resurrected from the dead. He resurrects marriages that are broken. He resurrects relationships. He resurrects hurt, wound, disappointment. He can bring healing to those things. So what I want to do is I want to close with just a prayer. And, and then the prayer work is going to be available. If you're here today and you go, man, I need someone to pray with me because I just I need some healing from some of my past. I'm in some, I'm in a relationship or I'm in a, I'm in a situation. I just need God's wisdom. I need his help. There's other places in scripture you can go to to bring more, more wisdom to this area. And maybe some of our prayer workers love to pray with you and talk with you. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard the gospel in the way I described just now. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You're ready to respond to the gospel. Put your faith in him. Then our prayer workers would love to pray with you. Could you stand with me? Let's stand up. I'd like to call the prayer workers forward. They're going to be where they normally are, right up front in the uh, near the in the middle there, near the, the bar. Uh, oh no, railing. I guess it's a railing, it's not a bar. There's a bar in there. It's a, ra it's a railing. And so prayer workers are up there, are going to be right up here, and they would love to pray with you right after the service. But is it all right? Let me just take a moment and pray for us, God. You're amazing. We love you. We thank you that you care enough about us to not let us snack on the things of this culture and things of this world. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you died for us. Father, that you uh, know that we're not perfect. And Father, every person in here, including me, has made mistakes, and I have. Father, every one of us in here uh, uh, has not lived a perfect life, but you did, so we don't have to. So Lord, right now, we just surrender and submit ourselves to you. Father, for those that are, have been broken in this area, Father, for those that have kind of gone off the world's definition of sex and not really yours, Father, I just pray that there would be some things you would do in us, in our hearts, and our minds today. Redefine this area of our life. That sex is good. It's from you. It's in the confines of a marriage. Man and a woman together in a covenant marriage. Father, that it is, it is giving. It's not taking. Father, for those that are single and maybe called to singleness, Father, I just pray that there would be a settling in their spirit. They wouldn't be looking for things the world says they have to have to fill, fill spaces that people say they've got to fill, but God, you would just bring healing and grace to them. 
Father, thank you for creating us so amazingly and fulfilling your purposes in our lives. We love you. We bless you. In the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, these guys are available. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To find out more about service times, giving, and community groups that meet throughout the week, please visit us online at luminouschurch.org.